Before I read the scriptures and begin to preach from this text, I just want to say how delighted we are to be here, my wife and I. We are overjoyed at the reception that we have received as well. We've been housed, we've been well fed, uh, we have an automobile, we've been taken out to dinner. Uh, all those things we have enjoyed immensely. And so we count it a privilege to be with this particular congregation. It's been a while since I've been in Germany, but I'm glad to be here, glad to be filling in as Nick has left and we await the uh, arrival of Dylan. So today, let us hear the word of God and understand this, God is present here today. I trust that you understood that before you came into his house. But Jesus Christ is here, he is with us, and this is his word that he has given to us, and it's the word that I will bring to you today. From Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, just verses 1 through 3. Let us give careful attention to the reading and the hearing of God's holy and inspired word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him when endured, who endured from sinners such a hostility against himself, so that ye may not grow weary or faint-hearted. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his holy and inspired word. I'm going to take the privilege of taking my jacket off. I often speak with my hands and I find this a bit restraining. So I would ask that, uh, could, could someone? I have a little bit more liberty. It's a great thing about a robe. You've got a lot of, you've got a lot of area in the robe to move your arms. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you have preserved it. We thank you, Lord God, that uh, you sustain us by it. And as we're here today, we pray, oh Lord God, that as we read the word and as we hear the word, that your Holy Spirit would be pleased to apply it to our hearts and minds. Teach us, oh Lord, we're not here to take up time and space. We are here to worship the living God and to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. One of the things I'm reminded of, and I see it in verse 3 in particular, and I will begin right there, because I believe it is the Apostle Paul who is writing this particular book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and I think it really addresses us today. Again, in verse 3, he says, Consider him who endured from sinners, sinners 
such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. It is my belief that there are a lot of weary people in the world today. There are a lot of people who are faint-hearted, sometimes uh, discouraged by the things that are going on, certainly in the world. We see chaos almost everywhere. We see wars and rumors of wars. We see all sorts of inventions and AIs and robots and all those things that concern us. What is our life going to be like? Are we going to be able to live like we once lived or whatever the case may be? Are we going to enjoy? Are we going to grow? Are we going to do those sorts of things when all around us it seems like the world is caving in? But we're not the first ones to experience that because as you look at chapter 10 of Hebrews, you see those Christians who were dispersed from Jerusalem going out to the various parts of the world planting churches and you see that they are going through difficulty as well. In fact, as you read chapter 10, many of them are being persecuted for simply speaking out. They're being taunted, as it were, as it were, by those who are opposed to them, specifically uh, those who are followers and not followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, but are really steeped in the Israel and tradition. So they find themselves persecuted. They find themselves oftentimes having their property confiscated. They also find themselves incarcerated. And oftentimes they lose their life because they are followers of Christ. They are following the way that Lord Jesus Christ has given them. So they find themselves in distressing times. And likewise, we find ourselves in fairly distressing times as well. So what are we to do about that? What are we to do? Well, in this particular book, as you go back to chapter 1, we find a description of, the, of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the past days, God spoke to us through the prophets. But in these current days, Jesus Christ is speaking to us as the prophet. Who is he? He's the one who has made all things. He is the one who holds all things together by his various, by his power of his word. He is the one who has made propitiation for our sins. He is the exact radiance of the Father. If you have seen Jesus Christ, as Jesus Christ said in John, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. It's important for us to know that because he is speaking to us. He is speaking to us through his word. He's speaking to us by the by the Spirit of God. And he's speaking to the things that we need to hear about. In fact, he tells us that there is a new covenant. That old covenant under Abraham is obsolete, but there is a new covenant. That new covenant is described in Hebrews chapter 8 and 9, where Jesus is said to be with us all the time. That Jesus is going to forgive us for our sins. That Jesus is going to give us eternal life. That Jesus is going to prepare a place for us, as John says, and as he prepares that place for us, one day he's going to come again to receive us unto himself, that we might be with him in the new heavens and new earth. The old covenant is obsolete. 
the new covenant is found in Jesus Christ and the promises that are mentioned there in Hebrews chapter 8 and 9. We have an inheritance now, Paul says in Ephesians. Part of that inheritance is a down payment of the Holy Spirit. So if we're Christians here today, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. But we have the presence of the Holy Spirit. One day we will be there in the new heavens and new earth with the triune God worshiping him around the throne. So we find ourselves sometimes in difficult straits. What is this race that Paul, I believe Paul, is talking about here in Hebrews? Run the race. I'm not sure if, you, if we understand that race very much, but I want to try and bring some clarity to what I believe the scriptures teach and what I believe. What is that race? Well, I sometimes think of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3. Paul gives us an understanding of where he came from. He came from the tribe of Benjamin. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was schooled by Gamaliel. He, had, uh, he was rising in the ranks of the rabbinic order. All of those things were going for him, and he was a persecutor of the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. But then he looks at his past, he looks at his family connections, he looks at his education, and he says, it's all nothing. It doesn't really matter at all. He says, what I want to know, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of the resurrection. I want the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to be like Christ. Amazing testimony. Changed on the road to Damascus. A persecutor of the church. And yet, the race that God has given to Paul is that he'll be a witness to kings and governors, to Jews and to Gentiles. And he says to Paul there in Acts chapter 9, by the way, you will suffer for me. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul did. If you read 2 Corinthians chapter 6 or 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you see all the things that the Apostle Paul went through. It wasn't easy for him. Life wasn't easy. There's a cost that he and so many others paid as a result. And you look at part of, part of our race is following after the and imitating Paul as he imitated Christ. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says we are a chosen people, a holy people, a, a, a people who are called out of darkness to declare the bright light of our Lord Jesus Christ to the world. We are to deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow after Jesus. We are to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And God is with us throughout the ages. We are to love God with all of our heart. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are to listen at that commandment that Jesus gave in the upper room, that we are to love one another as Jesus loved us and sacrificed himself for us. We are to be a holy people. We are to be different. We are to be radically different. We're new creatures in Christ Jesus. The old things have passed away Behold, all things have become new. We are to have a transformed mind. 
we are to do as, Je as James says in James chapter 1. We are to practice true religion, true religion, watching what we say and speak, how we speak, caring for widows and orphans and being holy people. For without holiness, none of us will see God. We are to also listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. And there he says, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. So when we look at the different spheres of life, whether it's family, whether it's church, whether it's work, or whether it's civil society, whatever we do, we are to do to the glory of God. As a family, we are to love to the glory of God. As the people of God, we are to love against to the glory of God. As we go to work, we are to do our work to the glory of God. As we live out in society as a whole, we are to live according to the glory of God and for the glory of God. So the race is, is multifaceted. We're to be like Paul. We're to listen to Peter. We're to take up our cross and follow Jesus. We're to make disciples. We're to love. We are to be changed. We are to offer ourselves as a living and a holy sacrifice. We're to do the work that God has called us to do. It's a holy work. It's a good work. It is the race that God has called us to. God called Paul to a particular race to do something. God has called us likewise to be involved in the kingdom activity, doing, bearing witness to Jesus Christ, doing those things that God has called us to do, praying, serving, giving, going, all of those things that we find in Holy Scripture. So what is the race? It is to know God and it is to make God known. To know God and to make God known. At least I believe that is the largest part of our calling. How do we run that race? Well, we have a cloud of witnesses, we read here in chapter 11, a cloud of witnesses. And I think of people like Abraham. Abraham, God came to Abraham and he said to Abraham, pick up from Chaldea of Ur, Ur and leave. He doesn't tell him exactly where he's taking him, but God is going to show Abraham where he is to go. And a little bit later, when you come to Genesis chapter 22, in particular, you find that God calls Abraham to offer his offspring, the seed of the covenant, Isaac. And what does he do? He takes Isaac and he begins to take him away from his family out to this mountain and he prepares to slay his own son. Can you imagine that? I mean, I have children. I love my children. I can't imagine me taking your life, but, but God says to Abraham, Abraham, slay your son, Isaac. And as he gets ready to do it, and as he prepares to slay his son, he is stopped by Yahweh from doing that. And Yahweh describes him to be righteous altogether. I think of Moses as well. Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of Israel, 
rather than to live with Pharaoh there in Egypt where he was, where he had everything at his pleasure, at his beck and call. Everything was for Moses. But Moses said, no, I would rather be mistreated with the people of Israel than to live with Pharaoh and with the Egyptians. And God gave him a race. What was that race? To lead the people out of bondage, to lead them out into the desert, to lead them for almost 40 years before he sinned against the Almighty God and was prohibited from entering into the land that God had prepared, prepared for the people of Israel. I think of others as well. I think of those who are listed in Hebrews chapter 11. Their names are not mentioned. It's toward the end of Hebrews chapter 11. But they go through life and they're, they're being pursued and they're, they're fleeing as it were. They're living out in the country. They're living in the mountains. They're living in the, the cracks there in the mountains and the crags and all that sort of things. And they're, they're being pursued and they're dying. Some of them are being caught, they're being sawed in two. Their names are not written in the Bible, but their names are written in the book of life. I think of several other more, not contemporaries, but some reformers in particular. I have had an opportunity to read a little bit more since I've been retired for some time. But I read some of the reformers and some of the Puritans, and I was particularly enamored by uh, William Tyndale. Some of you have read about his life. I knew a little bit about his life before I read this one book, and I was just amazed by Tyndale. I knew that he had translated uh, the Bible into English, but I did not know what he had to go through to do that. What he had to do, he had to go through was, he sought permission in England to translate the Bible in English, to translate the scriptures, Old Testament, Hebrew, New Testament, Greek. He wanted to translate those those works into the Bible so that the people of England could read the Word of God. They refused to let him do that, so he came to Europe. And there, using the printing press, doing all of his uh, translation, he absolutely put the Bible together in English. And at that point in time, he was captured. He was put in a prison in Belgium for 500 days. I've been to Belgium in the, in, the, in the winter. I don't think I want to go there again. He was in the dungeon. He was suffering terribly. 500 days. And he was still working. And he was talking to those people who would bring him food and some things to help him to deal with the cold and the misery of living there. And after 500 days, they took him out. And they had a trial. And they hung him. And they burned him all because he only wanted to translate the Word of God so that the people of God in England could read the Word of God. I think of others like Guido de Braze who wrote the Belgian Confession. He left Belgium for a while and spent some time with Calvin. He could have stayed with Calvin in Geneva. His wife wasn't there, but he had to go back. He says, I want to go back not only to see my wife, but I also want to go back and preach the gospel there. But he knew that there was a mark on him. And when he went back, 
He certainly preached, but he was also captured, and he was tried, and he was burned at the stake, and his body was in a, a grave, very shallow grave, and later on they found the next morning that the dogs had eaten his body. It can't get much worse than that. But these are, these are great saints. They're great saints. And they're a cloud of witnesses. And what, what are we to take from that? Well, there's others. There's one other that came to my mind, John Patton. I don't know if you've read about John Patton, but Patton went to the New Hebrides from Scotland. Took him four months by sea to get there. Can you imagine living on a ship for four months, going to the New Hebrides, knowing that there were cannibals there, that that was the way that they lived off other people? But he was going there to take the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to them. And he did. His wife, young wife, she was pregnant. She died almost by the time they got there. He remarried, had several children, had another child, but that child died, and the two little boys, they had to take that little child and bury it in a shoebox simply because the mother and the dad were sick. Can you imagine that? Going to the New Hebrides, no CVS, no other uh, drug company or drug uh, store around, anything like that, no medicine as it were, none of those things available to them, but there was a call. He was running the race that God had marked out for him. And today there are Presbyterian church in the New Hebrides. Those people are not eating one another anymore. They're having commerce. They're doing all sorts of things. They've been changed by the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that changed them. That's the only thing that has changed us. That is the only thing that will, ch will change mankind. And it needs to be heard. And so, running a race, what a race. We don't think about it being so difficult these days, do we? Life is pretty easy in the Western world by and large, but it seems to be getting a little bit more narrow in terms of our comfort in Christianity in the West. So we have a cloud of witnesses. That's one thing that we have. We also are told that we carry around a lot of burdens and we need to remove those burdens so that we can run the race. It's kind of hard to run a race if you're burdened down. Um, I think of one occasion when I was in the military, I, we had a exercise where we had to carry a third of our body weight in the rucksack and we were uh, timed in terms of how we would do. I, I tried to run a little bit with a third of my weight on my back, but it wasn't running very fast, I can tell you that. And oftentimes today we have so many burdens in our life, so many concerns. We're worried oftentimes about our family. We're often worried about what kind of work are we going to have, especially with the technology that we have today. We have robots, we have AI, we have all of these things. The world is changing rather dramatically. We're worried about things like, what is the world going to be like when our children grow up? What, what, what will the world be like when we have grandchildren? Are, are, are they going to have something similar that, well, that we have? 
What is life going to be like? There's only one thing that I know that will help relieve our burdens, and that is prayer. For, for one thing, what does Paul say in Philippians chapter 4? He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The antidote to having a large burden on your back weighing you down is to bring it to the throne of grace and let the Lord God give you wisdom in terms of how to relieve that burden from you. And I also think of the passage in, in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says there in, in chapter 6, he says, don't worry. In fact, that's a command. That's an imperative. The same thing, don't be anxious, Paul says. Those are commands. Those are imperatives from the Almighty God. And there in, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, don't worry. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. God feeds the birds of the air and he takes care of the, the, the flowers of the field. And how much more important you are because you're an image bearer of God. If God takes care of nature, it will take care of us. It will meet, he will meet our every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these other things that we long for, all of these other things that we need, not everything that we long for, but everything that we need, he will meet our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So lift our burdens at the cross in prayer and in obedience to our calling to run the race and not be weighed down. Also, we're to deal with the area of sin that uh, sometimes is overwhelming us. I think of what we read in the scripture says, you know, we're to mortify that sin. We're to, to put it to death. We have the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And, and I don't know any way of dealing with those except to have a deep and abiding relationship with the living God, to call upon him, to look at his word, to study it, to examine it, to meditate upon it, to receive it in your heart and your mind, and therefore have that transformation taking place in your life that you will mortify the flesh. I won't do those things that I once did. I won't allow my eyes to feast upon those things that are so desirable. I won't have my uh, looking at the things of the flesh to, to make my life so much more pleasant as it were because there's not pleasantry in sin. Mortify that sin. Put it to death. Come to Jesus, study the scriptures, meditate, pray, do all of those things. And I think there will be a great deal of success. So, we have a race to run, and you have to figure out what that race is. It may not be like John Patton, probably not won't be like Paul, or any of the apostles but 
it needs to be found out. What is it? And it's a multitude of things, I think. So we have a cloud of witnesses. Uh, we have burdens. We deal with the problem of sin in our bodies, even though they've been redeemed and born again to a living hope through Jesus Christ. And yet there's still sin in us that we need to deal with and put it to death. But there's one last thing here. And the most important thing is to consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Jesus was fully God and fully man. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and we beheld him as the only begotten, full of faith, full of grace. Jesus became the God-man, and he was tempted like all of us have been tempted, and yet was without sin. He was a target for the powers to be, even while he was in the cradle. He lived a, a life where he grew in stature before God and before man. As he grew, he came to John to be baptized, to fulfill all righteousness. As he did that, the Holy Spirit came to dwell upon him. And you hear the approbation of his father saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then he is led by the Spirit out into the desert. And there he is confronted by the evil one who tempts him on three occasions. Those temptations are absolutely enormous. We find ourselves tempted from time to time, but Jesus' temptations are absolutely astounding. But each one of those temptations, Jesus looks at those, hears those temptations, and he quotes from his Bible, the Old Testament, and he doesn't give in to the temptations of the evil one. And he never did. And then as you trace his life, you'll see that he begins to preach there in Matthew chapter 4, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he gives us that Sermon on the Mount, a great sermon, one of those wonderful sermons, sort of like the Upper Rome Discourse, that sermon. Jesus spoke, and, and what did he do? Not only preached there, but he went around preaching. People were being saved, people were being healed, people were being raised from the dead, the, the weather was changed, the, the water stopped, the wind stopped. Whenever Jesus did something, he did it completely well. And therefore, as he did those things, the scribes and the Pharisees plotted to take his life. And Jesus knew that he was sent for a reason. And that reason was to go to Jerusalem and to die on the cross for our sins. And so Jesus had told his disciples, on a number of occasions that he had to go to Jerusalem, that he would go there, that he would be killed, and on the third day he would be raised again from the dead, and that he would ascend and go to heaven. 
He went there. He went there. And after he instituted the Lord's Prayer, he went to Gethsemane, where he prayed, and where the people left him when he was arrested. And Jesus is being beaten. He's having lashes upon his back and a crown of thorns upon his head. And the whole time, even before that, he's praying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. You see, the case and the call of the Father to the Son was, the Son, you have a mission. It is to go to Jerusalem. It is to die. It is to be nailed to the cross. It is to be, it is to be executed, murdered, killed. And the whole time, Jesus is hanging there and bleeding and writhing in pain, trying to lift his diaphragm up so that he have another breath of air to breathe. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. So Jesus dies. And on the third day, he is raised from the dead. And he ascends to the right hand of the Father, where he has all authority. For the joy set before him, see, he endured the cross. But in enduring the cross, he gave his righteousness to us and took our sins and paid the price for our redemption. And the writer says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. For the joy, having lived over 30 years on earth, having gone through what he has gone through for our benefit, now he is where he ought to be, at the right hand of the Father. But there's one more thing that is so important for us to understand, that we too, will have the joy of the Lord being in his presence, not only for a limited period of time, but for the rest of eternity. When Jesus Christ comes again, as he promised in John chapter 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, that in my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go and prepare a place for you and where I, I go and prepare a place for you, I will return unto you, and I will take you to be with me forever. And you will experience my joy for all eternity. You have a race to run. You have people who have gone before us, whether it's in New Testament times or later times, 
And you see the faith that they showed as they run that race. And then you see the faith of the example par excellence in Jesus Christ, who was faithful to his Father to the very end. It takes faith to run. Sometimes you don't know where you're going, as Abraham did. Sometimes you know, don't know what kind of leadership or things that God is asking you do, to do until you receive that faith and exercise that faith. But if you're a child of God, you have a race to run. And my prayer, and I'm sure the Lord's prayer, is that you may run it and run it well. And at the end, you may say and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, and enter into that final rest. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, I am. I pray that you would, uh, and we pray, that you would lead us into that race that you have prepared for us already. Just give us the wisdom, Lord, to know that what that race is, and give us the strength to run it, not looking back, but always looking forward to the finish line, because you are there. And that's where we want to be. So be with us and help us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.